Well, when I was a little kid, we used to say a phrase that sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Well, you know, that sounds brave, and it sounded like we were tough. You can say whatever you want to, but it's not going to hurt me. But I think we all knew that that wasn't true. That, yeah, sticks and stones do hurt, but the scars of sticks and stones will, will heal much quicker than the scars and the wounds from somebody's words or names that they call us. And I think that probably every one of us in this room has been hurt at some point in our lives by the words of somebody else. And I think also, though, that every one of us in this room have spoken words that have wounded somebody. The tongue is a powerful instrument. And our words can be used to either encourage and build up, or they can be used to tear down and discourage. How do you use your tongue? Your words. You know, we've been looking at uh, the book of James, and James, again, just for review, uh, he is writing to Jewish believers that have been dispersed, and they're going through persecution. And he's trying to spur them on in their faith, to stand firm in their faith. And he is sharing in this letter about obstacles they're going to face that they have to overcome if they're going to stand firm. And we started with the obstacles of trials and temptation. Then we looked at the obstacle of complacency toward God's Word. And then the obstacle of partiality. And then last week, the obstacle of insincere faith. And then this week, we move into one that uh, we all face. And I don't know that we ever get beyond dealing with it. And that's the obstacle of the untamed tongue. And his exhortation, if I could wrap up or summarize his exhortation in this passage in three words, it would be, tame the tongue. Or another way to put it would be, watch your words. My mom used to say that, watch your mouth, young lady. Tame the tongue. And so this morning, if you want to turn in your Bibles to James 3, 1 to 12, that's our passage this week. And in this passage, I just want to point out three reasons why we need to tame the tongue and watch our words. And the first reason is because the tongue directs. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, we see this. He talks about this. Our words direct and they guide others. Do our words direct people down the right path? Or do our words take people down the wrong path? And so he begins in verse 1 with a warning. And he says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. And in this context that he was writing, he was most likely referring to those men that were wanting that position of teacher in the church. But we can make a broader application as we get into the application. But in the early church, teachers were very important to the spiritual growth of the church. So why did James discourage them from wanting to become teachers if they're so needed? Well, there were apparently some at that time that were 
wanting to be teachers for the wrong motives. I mean, in, at the, in the church at that time, in the synagogues, the rabbis were kind of held in esteem and they were looked at with respect and authority. And then that carried over into the early church, the Christian church, where they, they were lifted. They had a platform. They were respected. And there were some, apparently, that James was addressing who wanted that platform. They wanted that respect. There may have been some who wanted that position for personal gain. We see that today as we watch some of the televangelists on TV of wanting it to be for their personal gain, their personal following. And there may have been some who were teaching false doctrine, leading people astray. And so he's, he's just trying to tell them, hey, don't be so quick to want to be a teacher. And teachers speak words of instruction. And they direct their listeners and they can direct them off God's path by teaching wrong doctrine or by misinterpreting the scripture. And James warns them, with this role of teaching comes greater responsibility and accountability. Being a teacher brings a stricter judgment if you don't handle the word of God accurately and correctly. If you're called by God to teach, by all means teach. But make sure that you're doing it for the right motive. Be diligent to study his word and to handle his word accurately. You know, people often ask me, Cricket, do you get nervous still when you stand up to teach? And my answer is, no, I don't get nervous to stand up here. I don't get nervous to be in front of people. Uh, or to teach, that doesn't make me nervous. But what makes me nervous is that I am going to teach something wrong to you. Or I'm not going to honor the Lord with my teaching. Uh, when we, during COVID, when uh, we would do the video recordings every week, every Thursday, Luke and I would meet and he would record and video the talk and he'd say, You ready to go? And I'd go, I'm so nervous. And he'd go, Why are you nervous? And I'd go, because I don't want to disappoint the Lord with how I teach. And that just, that's where I get nervous. Because I don't want to disappoint Him. I don't want to let Him down with the responsibility of teaching His Word. And to be honest, I hope I stay that way for the rest of my life. That I never get to that point that I lose that type of nervousness. Our teaching should be something that we do to honor the Lord. But it's not just teachers who need to tame the tongue. He goes on in verse 2, and he includes everybody. In James 3, 2, he says, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Every one of us in this room stumble. We sin in some way. And it's interesting that a lot of our sins occur when we're talking. That is an area that they happen in. And when he talks about the word perfect here, he's referring to maturity, spiritual maturity. He is not saying that we can get to a point 
of sinlessness here on this earth, that you're going to get to a place that you're perfect. As long as we have this flesh in us, we are not going to get there until we take our last breath. And that flesh is dead. And so James was saying that those who control their speech are well on their way to spiritual maturity. And our speech gives a good indication of where we are in our maturity. And then James gives them two examples to rem- just to remind us of how powerful this tongue is, this small instrument in our mouth. And he gives the example of the bit in the horse's mouth that can guide the horse to either safety or to danger. Same thing with the ship, the little rudder. Small. But that rudder can shipwreck that boat or lead it to its destination. Don't underestimate the power of the tongue. The power of our words. How do you use your words to direct others? Do you use your words to direct others to the Lord? Or do you use your words to direct others to the world? Do your words guide people to godly living? Or do your words cause people to stumble in their faith? I am so thankful for the godly mentors that God has put in my life over the years that speak words to me that spur me on or that correct me when I'm getting a little bit off the path. Our words direct people. That is why we need to tame the tongue. The first reason. The second reason we should tame the tongue is because it's dangerous. And we're going to look at that in verses 5 to 8. And there was a lot in this, this section. In these verses, James gives eight descriptions of how the tongue is dangerous. And we're going to go through these. We're going to spend most of our time in this section. Uh, we're going to go through them pretty quickly. But the first one, the description he gives is that the tongue is a fire. This is in verses, verse 5 in the very beginning of verse 6. In verse 5 he says, So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And then the beginning of verse 6, The tongue is a fire. And a fire can spread quickly. It can leave widespread devastation. All you have to do is look at the news and watch the wildfires that have been going on in California. Somebody takes a little match, drops it, a little spark, and it causes destruction it just quickly. And there's no stopping it, and there's no reversing the damage. I mean, that when it's done You just look at it. It's damaged. You can't go back and redo it. The tongue is a fire. One word of gossip, one word of slander can destroy a person's reputation. Words spoken in anger can ruin friendships or a marriage. I have watched the tongue in numerous situations, um, divide churches. People grumbling, 
gossiping, spreading rumors that aren't true. And the negativity of those words spread like wildfire. And before you know it, the church is divided. Because of words that were spoken hastily or without thinking. Are your words spreading dissension or discord in the church or your workplace or your home? Are you damaging somebody because of the words that you're speaking? Don't be someone who lights a fire in the church to spread and tear a church apart. The second description he gives of how the tongue is dangerous is that it's the very world of iniquity. That's what the New American Standard says. This is at the very beginning of verse 6. The NIV calls it a world of evil. The tongue is a world of evil. What exactly does that mean? Well, Matthew Henry describes it. There is such an abundance of sin in the tongue. There is so much sin. Uh, the word, the Greek word for world here is cosmos, but it's not referring to the earth. It's referring to the vastness of the tongue. It can do so much damage. When we use our tongue, I mean, it, it's as though all the wickedness in the entire world were wrapped up in this little piece of flesh. It's its own world of sin. Everything is contained in this little instrument. We need to guard against it. Third description. The tongue defiles the entire body. This is the last part of verse 6. And when we say that word defile, that means to make unclean or impure, to pollute or contaminate. When we use our tongue in the wrong way, it contaminates, it pollutes our whole being. Our sinful words will stain and damage what they leave behind. And it's not just the person that we're using those words on, it stains us. It impacts us. It's like smoke that penetrates and permanently contaminates everything exposed to it. If you've ever gone camping and sat by a a fire, a campfire, and the smoke blows on you. And then you go home and all your clothes and your skin smells like that smoke. That's how the tongue impacts us. It just permeates us. Or if you've been around somebody who smokes a cigarette or you've been in their home and you come out and you're thinking, everything reeks of cigarette smoke. That's what the tongue does to us. It defiles our whole body. I've heard the example of the mudslinger. A mudslinger can't sling mud without getting himself dirty. Because he can pick that, he has to pick that mud up. And he's going to get his hands dirty. And then when he slings it, inevitably that mud is going to come back and hit him somewhere, either on his shoes or his, his shirt. When we use our words, it impacts us, too. It defiles us. It makes us unclean. It pollutes us. The fourth characteristic description. 
And the tongue sets on fire the course of our life. And again, this is still in verse 6. And this is a hard verse. Scholars even agree. This is a hard verse to totally wrap your hands around. Uh, another translation, instead of course of our life, the circle of life. And James suggests that all of life is connected like a wheel, that everything kind of intertwines in our lives, and we can't keep things from spreading. And that wheel turns throughout life, and so something, I mean, it just carries through for the rest of our life what we do with the tongue. It impacts us in every area of our life and for the rest of our life. Our sinful words affect everything in our sphere of influence. Not just ourselves, but everyone that we influence in the course of our life. Our words can have that effect. And then fifth, the tongue is set on fire by hell. Verse 6. Symbolically, that word hell refers to the place where Satan resides and to which the doom uh, are banished. And so the implication of this word in this verse is that Satan himself sets man's tongue on fire. He is the source of the damage that our tongue does. But I, I want to go just a little bit deeper in this verse because this verse has a lot in it. Um, with the meaning of this hell. The term that James uses here for hell in this verse is the Greek word Gehenna. And you may see that in the margin of some of your Bibles, Gehenna. It's not used often in the New Testament, mostly by Jesus in the Gospels. But that word Gehenna literally means the Valley of Hinnon. And that was a deep valley uh, south, southwest of Jerusalem. And in the ancient days, the Canaanite worshipers and some of the Israelite worshipers would come to that valley and they would sacrifice their children there to the god of Molech. They would give their children as burnt offerings there. And so there was always that smoke and that stench. And King Josiah permanently halted that practice. But after he halted the practice of child sacrifice, that valley became a place where it was a garbage dump. And it, it stayed that way throughout the years where trash and garbage and the bodies of dead animals and criminals were thrown there. And the fire never stopped. It was constantly burning. And because the fire was burning all the time and the maggots were always present, Jesus used that term, Gehenna, to represent the eternal, never-ending torment of hell. Hell is Satan's place, prepared for him and his demons. But it's used here as a synonym for Satan and the demons. So when James says that the tongue is set on fire by hell, he's indicating that the tongue is Satan's tool used to pollute destroy and corrupt. It's incredibly dangerous, our tongue. The sixth description is that the tongue is untamable. Verses 7 and 8, he talks about how all these species have been tamed except no one can tame 
the tongue. And that tongue, our tongue fights against every effort to be controlled. We cannot tame it in our own strength. No man can tame the tongue. Only God can do that. And then seventh, the tongue is a restless evil. Verse 8. And a restless evil is a picture of a wild animal fighting fiercely against the restraints of captivity. Being restless means that there is never a time when this animal, this evil, ever sleeps. So we have to be on guard because it is constantly trying to find somebody. It never stops fighting to be released and it never stops looking for somebody to devour. The tongue is always capable of destroying and hurting. So we have to be on guard. And then the eighth and last description. It's full of deadly poison. Verse 8, and he gives us a picture of a poisonous snake whose tongue is never at rest, whose fangs are filled with lethal venom, lethal venom, ready to destroy. You remember, you remember where the first snake in the Bible we are introduced to? Yep, the garden. Genesis 1, Satan was a serpent and that he has continued to try to take that lethal poison and put in us. You know, it was words that led Eve to sin as Satan tried to convince Eve that God wasn't looking out for her. Words led her to sin. Her words led Adam to sin. And you know what the first sin was after they ate the fruit? Words were Adam... Blame God. You gave me this woman. Words have been a lethal poison since the serpent showed up at the very beginning. And it has continued throughout our lifetimes. It's dangerous. Our tongue is dangerous. What poisonous or life-killing words do we speak? Or have we heard? You'll never be good enough. Why can't you be like so-and-so? I don't love you anymore. Or gossip or slander. You know, I remember um, when I went on staff with Campus Crusade, I was in my early 20s, and I remember I had to raise support. And I remember I was at my grandfather's house, and... At that time, raising support was not an honorable thing back when I was raising support. And my grandfather made the comment that I was nothing but a hippie, living off other people's money. I've never forgotten those words because it always made me feel that he was not proud of me as his granddaughter and that I never would live up to his expectations because of how he saw me. Words stay with us. They poison us. They, they hurt us. Well, these eight characteristics of the tongue point out the danger of the tongue. Our tongues, our words, can be an instrument used by God to build up or an instrument used by Satan to destroy. 
And we have to decide who we're going to let use our tongue. So that's the first two reasons that we need to tame the tongue. The tongue directs and the tongue is dangerous. The third reason is because the tongue discloses. It discloses what's in our hearts. It reveals what's inside us. We see this in verses 9 to 12. In verse 9, he starts with, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. Verse 10, From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be this way. We praise and we criticize or slander or gossip out of the same mouth. That should be impossible. Just like a fountain can't send out fresh and bitter water, but we do it all the time. One moment we can be sitting there praising God and having a great time with Him. And then one of your kids or your husband or your cat or whatever dog does something and you just scream and explode. We do it. The tongue reveals what is at its source. The tongue reveals what's inside of us. And the more spiritually mature we are, the more our words should reflect Christ in us. Our words reveal and disclose what's going on in our hearts, in our minds. Just like a fig tree can, it can only produce figs. As Christians, we should the fruit that we produce should be the fruit of the Spirit, not those negative things. When I find myself lashing out at somebody in anger, or if I'm impatient, or I say something really sarcastic, and I'm thinking, yeah, I, I, I've got a purpose behind that. I have to stop and say, God, what is going on in me that I said that? Or I responded that way. We need to look inside and say, God, what is going on here? And if I'm harboring jealousy or anger or comparison or just disagreement or dislike, my words will spontaneously disclose that as I let my tongue loose. Yesterday, we were talking here uh, in the office, and a question came up, is it okay to vent. I mean, can I not ever just vent what I'm feeling to somebody? And we kind of batted it around, and, and I would say that I think there are times we need to vent, but what we need to consider is why am I venting? What am I saying? What do I want to accomplish by venting? Do I want to gossip about this person or discredit this person or take this person down a few notches? Or am I venting because I just need, I need some perspective, and maybe you can help me think this through. I don't think that we're meant to keep everything shut up inside. Vent, but be careful how you vent. Do it in a way that is not vindictive or negative or gossipy, but in a way that will help you grow and be Christ-like. So James exhorted his readers, tame the tongue. And an untamed tongue is an obstacle 
to standing firm in our faith. Three reasons we need to tame the tongue. It directs, it's dangerous, and it discloses what's in our hearts. So how do we tame the tongue? James has said nobody can tame the tongue. Do we have any hope? Well, James is right. No one, humanly speaking, can tame the tongue. But God can. And so I want to just uh, wrap things up by offering you three suggestions to help tame the tongue. And they all start with C, and I'm going to try to give you one word that starts with C for each of them and then expand on it. It's just easier to remember for me if it's concise. The first thing is control. Give God control of your tongue. You will never tame the tongue in your own strength when you're in control. You can only see the tongue tamed when you hand it over to God and you yield your words to the power of the Holy Spirit. And you ask Him, God, guard my words today. You speak through me. And don't let me speak what I want to say here. Second, confess. That's an obvious one. Confess the damage that you've done. There are times that I will say something, and the minute I say it, I know it was wrong. And I have to stop and just say, first, confess to God. God, I should not have said that. That was wrong. Again, what's going on in my heart that made me say that? But then, if I have hurt somebody, I need to go to that person. And I've had to do this so many times and, and say, you know what, please forgive me for saying that. I shouldn't have said that about this person. Or I shouldn't have said that to you. I'm sorry. Or I shouldn't have betrayed that confidence. Will you forgive me? Confess. And then the third, change. Ask God to change your heart. We can't do it, but God can. Ask him to change your heart. The tongue itself is not the problem. The problem is the heart. It is a heart issue. In Matthew 12, 34, Jesus says, For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. My words reflect what's going on in my heart. So ask God to transform your heart to look like his, a heart that responds to circumstances and people the way that he would. Do you use your words to encourage or discourage? To build up or tear down? I pray that we will be women who walk in a way that pleases God with our words and that we would edify and build up and that God would put a guard over our mouth before we start to tear down or hurt. Let's tame the tongue. Let's watch our words. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you would show us if, if we have said something in the last day or week that we need to confess or go to somebody and ask forgiveness that we've spoken these words. And Father, I pray that as we move forward that we would keep our eyes on you, that we would yield to your 
Holy Spirit living in us and that, Father, we would allow you to just guard our words and our hearts. Father, change us. Transform us. We love you and thank you so much for this lesson from James. It's convicting, but it has given us so much to think about and apply. In Jesus' name, amen.